Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series, Songs of Christmas. For a few short weeks, the Songs of Christmas seem to unify the world. Whether they are pop songs, traditional carols, or sacred hymns, ultimately, the inspiration for Christmas songs is tied to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Join us as we look at some of the most loved, theologically rich, and sacred songs of Christmas as a starting point for seeing what God wants to teach us through Scripture this Christmas season. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody here in the room, as well as those of you who are online. We're glad that you joined us today. We're in the middle of this series called Songs of Christmas, and we're using some of our favorite Christmas hymns to illustrate the scriptures that both inspired the hymns and that teach us about what God has done for us in Christ. And uh, today, as you may guess, we're going to look at the hymn, O Holy Night. So uh, like uh, with all the hymns, there are scriptures that inspired the lyrics of O Holy Night. But in the case of O Holy Night... There was a request that preceded that inspiration. And let me just give you a little backstory about that hymn. In 1847, uh, Placide Capot was the commissioner of wine of a small French town. Now, whoever knew they were commissioners of wine, all right? But anyway, uh, he was known for his poetry, but really not for his participation in church. Uh, In fact, it probably shocked Placide when the parish priest asked him to write a poem for the Christmas Mass that was coming up. Nevertheless, the poet was honored to share his talents with the church, and using the Gospel of Luke as his guide, Capot imagined witnessing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, and thoughts of being present on that blessed night inspired him. Now, uh, Capot wasn't musically inclined himself, but he had a friend. And so he turned to him, and his name was Adolf Charles Adams, who had studied in the Paris Musical Conservatory. And interestingly enough, uh, Adams was Jewish, so the words of the song represented a day that he didn't celebrate, and it was about a man that he didn't view was the Son of God. But nevertheless... Adams quickly went to work attempting to marry together the original score from Capot's beautiful words to music. Adams finished the work and it pleased both the poet and the priest and the song was performed just three weeks later at a midnight mass on Christmas Eve. Now, Initially, this hymn was wholeheartedly accepted by the church in France and the song quickly found its way into various Christmas services But when Placide Capot walked away from the church and he became a member of the socialist movement uh, and the church leaders discovered that Adolf Adams was Jewish, the song, which had really quickly grown to be one of the most beloved Christmas songs in France, was suddenly and uniformly denounced by the church. Yet, even as the Catholic church in France tried to bury that Christmas song, the French people continued to sing it. And a decade later, an American writer brought it to a whole new audience. Uh, That was when John Sullivan Dwight translated it from French to English, and uh, it quickly found favor here in America. 
Now, interestingly, in my own study, uh, uh, I... I used a French to English uh, website to translate the original French because I, my French is very poor. Uh, and I wanted to compare John Sullivan Dwight's version that we sing today, and we're going to sing it at the end of this message. I wanted to compare it to uh, a straight translation from the French. And what I discovered, it's, it's not word for word, but, but it's thought for thought. And, and you can see that, that both the French writing as well as Dwight's translation were inspired by the rich scriptural references that he used. Now, before we look at the scriptures that inspired this hymn, I do want you to consider how almighty and how all-powerful God is and how God can use all things for good and to glorify him. Because think this through. God used lyrics written by a poet, honestly, who some people consider was an atheist, and he used music written by a composer who did not believe at all in the subject matter to bring forth a, a lovely and beloved sacred Christmas hymn that followers of Jesus sing around the world now for over a hundred years. Now, the verses of this Christmas hymn, especially verses 1 and 3, are, are theologically rich. So we're going to dig into those scriptures that inspire them. And if you're wondering how an atheist could write theologically rich verses, we have to keep in mind something. That, that centuries ago, even decades ago, uh, people were much more biblically literate. Uh, people were raised reading the Bible, studying the Bible. They knew more about it. Even if at some point they decided to walk away from that faith, they knew and understood about it because it was a normal part of life. So let's look at verse 1, and we're going to talk about what it talks about, which is what God has done. So I'm, I'm going to quote verse 1. I'm not going to sing it, okay? O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, a weary, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. O hear the angel voices. O night divine. O night when Christ was born. Now, this verse begins with announcing the birth of our Savior, saying it is the night of the dear Savior's birth. This, this phrase focuses on the miracle of the incarnation. And the incarnation is the theological doctrine that says God became a human being to save all of humanity from their sin and from death. Now, we, we see the doctrine of the incarnation on full display in, in John chapter 1, where he writes these very words. So the Word became human and made his home among us. Now, we understand in that scripture that the Word is a phrase, a, a term that is used to refer to the Messiah, that's used to refer to Jesus. And so he, he talks about the fact that he became human. It's so as we focus on this, on the night of our dear Savior's birth, we recognize that, that it's a, a night unlike any other night. It's a night when God came down from heaven to earth and inhabited this world that we live in when, when God became a human being in the form of a baby. It's the night when God 
who is spirit, became flesh and blood and lived a life like us so he could show us the way to our eternal father. The word of God, Jesus, became human for our salvation and there's never been a more holy night. That's why it's, oh, night divine. Now, of course, the reason that the incarnation needed to happen is uh, important. The Son of God came to deliver humanity from their bondage to sin, from the curse of death, and from the consequences of eternal condemnation. Uh, the second verse says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, in both the New and the Old Testament, the Bible makes it very clear that we as humans are sinners that try as we might not to sin, that we do fail. We make mistakes, we sin. And, and so uh, we can say and sing with that song that we lay in this world in sin, in our errors. And I want to share with you a couple of scriptures that just make this clear from both the New and the Old Testament. In the book of Romans, we read these words, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now the prophet Isaiah shared this prophetic word hundreds of years before Paul wrote the book of Romans. He said this, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now Isaiah says that we as human beings are, are like sheep. And uh, if you know anything about sheep, you, you know that uh, they're not always prone to follow the shepherd that is there to protect them. And so he's saying, listen, you know, we're like sheep. We've strayed away. We've gone and done whatever we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We've strayed from God and decided to do what we wanted to do, no matter what. That's the sin. That's the error that we lay in. Isaiah also points out what God has done for us in sending us a Savior, and I'll come back to that part of the verse in just a moment. You know, the Christmas hymn creates this word picture uh, that we're all just sort of stuck in our sinfulness, that we're even wallowing in our sins and in the errors, that, that we're pining, that we're asking for help. And pining's not a word that we use too often. Uh, to pine for someone or something is to, to miss that person or thing so much that it causes suffering. In this case, humanity pines for a close relationship with God who has promised to save them. And, and to pine can also mean to languish or suffer because we're forced to remain in an unpleasant place or situation. And so think this through. Because of humanity's sins, because of humanity's errors, we're separated from God. We're forced to live in an unpleasant situation, a place that means eternally we'll be separated from God unless, unless God sends a Savior. We need a Savior who will set us free. And we see that relief in the very next verse of the hymn. It says, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Now, remember I said we'd come back to that verse from Isaiah. 
It starts off, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. But then it says, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. When our Savior appeared, when our Savior appeared and communicated to all of us that our sins could be forgiven if we believed in him and if we followed in him, we need to understand that we see that God sees worth in us. And so we felt the worth of our very own souls. That we understand that God would lay our sins upon Jesus, that he would take them upon himself, that he would accept that punishment for our behalf. And when we realize that that Jesus stepped into this, receiving the punishment that we deserved willingly, we realize how much God, the Father, the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit value us. And we feel that God sees us as worthwhile, and we feel that worth. The next verse in the hymn says this, a thrill, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And, and it reminds me of what the writer of Hebrews says. He says this about the hope of the promises of God. He says, We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. You know, he's talking about having something that is immovable, something that gives us security, something that we know is going to be with us forever. And when we have this kind of hope, hope in the promises of who God is and that he will do what he said he will do, the weariness that we felt from feeling hopeless begins to dissolve. Knowing that our sins at one time held us in bondage, that drags us down and and carrying that affects us. It affects us because our sin makes us face both the curse of our sinfulness and the curse of death and the consequences of that sin and the eternal condemnation that it brings. All of that makes us weary. Thus, when we find out that God has sent a Savior to deliver us from that bondage to sin and remove the curse of death and take on the consequences of eternal condemnation for us, then we rejoice. And when the world discovers this, the sin-weary world that we live in, it rejoices also. And when everything that we have looked at has been realized, then we'll begin to realize that that something new has happened, that that there's a new beginning, a new start, a, a new day has dawned, and there's a prophetic word that was spoken about Jesus even before he was born. It was spoken by Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, and this is what he said about the coming of the Messiah, who we know is Jesus. Because of God's tender mercy, he writes, The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and guide us to the path of peace. When Jesus stepped into this dark world, he brought a new day. When we invite him into our lives, he brings a new day. He brings the light of love and we no longer live in the shadow of death but we're able to follow him and his guidance in the path of peace that he has offered to all of us. 
Now that very first verse of A Holy Night comes to a conclusion with a chorus that elicits a response from all of those who understand what happened on that very holy night. It reminds us that on the night when Jesus came into this world, when God became flesh, it was a holy night. It was a divine night. And what is our response to that night? Well, the hymn writer says we should fall on our knees. And isn't falling on our knees, what, isn't that what the apostle Paul writes about in the book of Philippians? He says this, that, that we're supposed to, to fall in our, on our knees in, in the form of kneeling. This is what we read in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that was above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This type of reverence and acknowledgement of Jesus is, is where the second verse of O Holy Night takes us. I'm going to read it to you, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Led by the light of faith serenely beaming, with glowing hearts by his cradle we stand. So led by light of star sweetly gleaming, here came the wise men from Orient land. The king of kings lay thus in lowly manger, in all our trials born to be our friend. He knows our need. To our, weakness is, to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king. Behold him lowly bend. To me, that conjures up the memories of the words that Jesus spoke about himself. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. We're led by his light. And like the, the magi who followed the star to where the king of kings was, we are to do what they did. Once they arrived, they saw Jesus. They bowed down and they worshiped him. And we worship him because in him we have found that not only is he our mighty God, like the prophet Isaiah prophesied about, but he's also our wonderful counselor, which Isaiah also said about him. And, and as our wonderful counselor, he knows everything about us. He knows what it's like to live in human form. He knows our trials and our successes. He knows our streaks and our weaknesses. Jesus taught us that he knows all about us and that even God the Father knows everything about us even before we bring something to him for all of these reasons our response should be to worship him and our worship of Jesus should result in what the the last verse of the hymn O Holy Night takes us to and that is that we will respond and do what God commands let me read the third verse truly he taught us to love one another his law is love, and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. With all our hearts we praise his holy name. Christ is the Lord, 
Oh, praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. In all of these hymn verses, when you study the scriptures, you see the biblical foundation for them. But by far, verse 3 seems to have the most direct biblical quotations and phrases. It starts off reminding us of the new commandment that Jesus gave us and that he taught us to follow. We read in the Gospel of John, Jesus said this, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, this isn't a a warm and fuzzy uh, kind of emotion. It's supposed to be our calling card as followers of Jesus, that this is the way that we are supposed to love all people. And, And then Jesus, in that passage in John, continues, and he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, every time we hear these verses, we should ask ourselves, Can people tell that I'm a disciple of Jesus by the way I love others? Right now, ask yourself, am I loving others with my actions? Am I loving others with the things I say to them face to face? Am I loving them with the things I say about them when they're not present? Am I loving people when I go onto social media? I mean, I could continue to ask question after question. That's supposed to be the calling card of followers of Jesus, that that we love one another, that we demonstrate that. And that should be a question and a verse that we respond to and reflect on often because that's supposed to be who we are. Now, the the next stanza stanza of this last verse reminds us uh, of what this love for one another is built on. And it it uses some concepts that have biblical roots where Jesus talks about the law of love. We would read that in the book of Romans. And he talks about the gospel of peace that we also read about in the book of Romans and in also the book of Ephesians. But because of the next part of this verse, this Christmas hymn, actually became a favorite of those who were in favor of the abolition of slavery. Now, remember this. When Placide Capot, uh, this Frenchman, when he wrote the hymn, it was in 1843. And when John Sullivan, trans, John Sullivan Dwight translated it in 1855, this was during the pre-Civil War abolitionist movement. And while Dwight was an abolitionist and he resonated with what the French hymn said, he didn't stray f- away from the original text when he translated it. The the idea of this phrase which says, chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppressions shall cease. It's inspired by the prophet Isaiah uh, who is quoted in the gospel of Luke by Jesus as he recognizes that he is the fulfillment of this. And so let me read to you from the gospel of Luke. Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Yeah, amen. You know, knowing that this is the heart of God 
that requires us as his followers to engage in understanding this scripture and all scriptures, that, that we not spiritualize scriptures, but that we actually look at them and recognize what Jesus was talking about. Because he, he wasn't talking about just slavery to sin. He was talking about real slavery. He wasn't just talking about spiritual oppression. He was talking about human oppression on humans. So we have to drill into our hearts and deal with what Jesus was talking about. How can we help bring the good news to the poor, to the captives, to the blind, to the oppressed. This is biblical justice because God cares for the entire person and for all people. And as his followers, we're supposed to be the ones who enact that and make it happen on this earth. Now, as we embrace God's command to love all and to enact God's call for biblical justice, we have to remember that Jesus is not just our Savior, He's also our Lord. And as our Lord, he calls us to follow him and to obey his teaching with our lives. And that's where O Holy Night brings this same idea full circle in the chorus of that third verse. Remember what it said. Christ is the Lord. Oh, praise his name forever, his power and glory evermore proclaimed. It sends us right back to what Paul wrote in Philippians 2 that I read just a moment ago, and I'm going to read it again. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, I've always thought we like Jesus as our Savior. We like him to save him from the mess that we've got ourselves into. But I don't like to talk about the Lordship of Jesus because that requires faithfulness. That requires obedience. That requires that I let go of my will and I pick up my Lord's will. And that I'm faithful and obedient to do my part in following him in this time that he's given me on this earth. We like to think, you know, that, that we've only got so many years on earth that we need to do what we want to do and make the most of our lives for us. But Jesus calls us to be his follower, to follow him as our Lord. Now, maybe leader is a more uh, apropos term for 2021, but he's calling us to obey him and to follow him. And so we have to recognize that we are to be his hands and his heart and his voice and his feet to carry the message and enact his will on this earth in the time that he's given us here. And this is what we see throughout the scriptures that inspired this beloved Christmas hymn, that Jesus has been sent by God to save us, 
and we accept that promise of eternal life and forgiveness from our sins, but he asks us to follow him and proclaim him as Lord and obey him. You know, when we accept the truth that Jesus came into the world to be our Savior and our Lord, that's a change of heart that has to happen for that to be accepted. But for it to be fully accepted, it has to be a change of thinking too. And that means that we actually have a conversion that we change from doing things my way all the time as we think about our lives that way. And we begin to look at what God wants us to do and begin to obey him in each and every part of our lives. Jesus is the only one that God exalted to the highest place in heaven and on earth. And Jesus is the only one that God said his name is above every name. And so we are to kneel in surrender of our lives and proclaim that he is Lord and follow him. So as we bring this message to a close, I want you to ponder that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up because we're going to sing O Holy Night. And so we're going to have the opportunity to take the verses that I just quoted and now with understanding and insight, knowing where they come from in Scripture and knowing what the implication is for us, we're going to sing them. And, and I even want to challenge you to, to think about them and, and even prayerfully sing them in praise to God. Because God has done so much for us in Jesus Christ. He has not only saved us, he's provided us for a way for us to be bigger than ourselves, to live for something greater than we are, to, to live for the kingdom of God where Jesus will reign above all things and all people forever and ever. So please stand as we sing, O Holy Night. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.